Hello and welcome to chapter 7 of the Stuck in the Mud book. Um, This is the Stuck in the Mud podcast, which is based on the book that I wrote uh, that was released in January 2021. It's called Stuck in the Mud, Stories of Hope for When You're Stuck. Chapter 7 is an interesting turning point in the book because the first part of the book, part 1, is called Stuck and uh, contains six chapters. And the second part of the book is called Restored and also uh, contains six chapters that mirror the first. As you listen to uh, the second half of the book, you'll notice that each chapter starts with um, the same paragraph as its counterpart in the first part. I hope that's not a distraction to you. I can remember having lots of conversations with the uh, uh, with the publishers about it, and in the end, they saw what I was trying to achieve and said that they would go along with it. Um, I hope you find it helpful, and I hope that the stories and the message of peace and hope and restoration um, is encouraging you. So let's get on with it. This is part two, Restored. Chapter seven, Calling, Purpose and Delight. Opposite my seat at the table, there's a large white Ikea bookcase. Sometimes I catch myself staring blankly at it. My favourite thing about it is that there's a section with a large glass door and in it I can see the reflection of a photo of a beautiful Cornish beach behind my head in the opposite side of the room. When I draw my eye down, back in line and into focus, I can see my wife sat directly opposite me wondering why I'm ignoring the storm at the table. Directly to my right is Madeline. She sat unusually close to me given the amount of space she has. She's rearranging her plate so it looks like she's been eaten. And uh, in a moment before I tell her off, I stop to consider whether it would be better to just let her not eat. It would certainly cause less stress. Opposite Madeline sits Samuel. He's making fun of his mummy for a a hilarious jumping tantrum she had about something the other day. Of course, I remind him that he should respect his mummy and while holding back a little tiny giggle. He's also trying his hardest to avoid eating his plate of food. To the right, at the head of the table, in between Louise and I, sits Evelyn. She's currently piling ketchup and mayonnaise onto her plate. And honestly, as long as she's happy, I just want to leave well alone. Of course, her compliance is short-lived and she kicks off with a plate-flipping tantrum. This is the moment that Louise notices me, caught in a blissful daze. Madeline is still moving food around her plate and Evelyn has just been sent to the naughty step. And now Samuel needs me and pipes up over the commotion. Daddy, can I please have another drink? He says like nothing has happened. Yes, buddy, no problem, I reply. Just be careful with the water jug. I've no idea why, but at this point, Madeline chimes in and reaches across the table to help him. In a moment of pure chaos, Louise and I both jump up from the table. Louise goes to deal with Evelyn, and I intervene with Madeline and Samuel. Be careful, you two, I growl, as Samuel races to grab the water before Madeline gets it. He reaches across the table and weaves his arm around his glass that has still got a little water in it. He gets past the gravy boat and the bread sauce and finally gets his hands on the water jug, 
just as Madeline grabs it too. As they both tug at it, Samuel knocks his glass with his forearm. The remainder of his water splashes all over the dinner table, all over his plate in a horrific slow motion scene. Then everything kicks off. With all five of us roaring in perfect unison, Evelyn roars because she's still in the middle of a tantrum. Louise roars because Evelyn's just got off the naughty step. Madeline roars at Samuel for fighting over the water. Samuel roars because his dinner is ruined. And I roar out of pure frustration. In fact, I roar in a way that breaks something in me I don't think I'll ever get back. I bellow with such a primal growl that time itself seems to stand still that is, except for the slow, mocking drip of the remainder of Samuel's water falling from the table as he stands in tears. This is not the first time, and certainly won't be the last time, that I would feel that having a sit-down meal together is sometimes far more trouble than it's worth. But despite all this, I know deep down that there is such a value to the ritual. It is a chance to talk about what we'd like to achieve together, to catch up on stories from the day and of course to eat. To be honest, although it's a nightmare, it's just so good for us and it's a guaranteed great time when we know we'll be together. Dinner time antics aside, balancing the needs of our three children can be really tricky. Each child desperately wants their own adventures with us. Even just this weekend I had a little hike, an adventure to see a train and a Star Wars gaming session and the kids still moaned. But it's really okay. Being a husband and a father is, after all, my primary love, my main responsibility and my calling. My family is my world and I would always choose them over absolutely anything else. If I had time to burn, I'd light the chimney and break out the marshmallows more every year. When you'd ask me to play, I'd say yes every time and I'd save time for mummy and open more wine because you are my focus, my all every time, except now and again, my work takes my time. Then sometimes and often my team have my time and the music I love, well, that too needs some time and the house sometimes breaks and the car takes my time and I'm still worried about money and that needs my time. The extended family I love also need my time and the church with the stuff going on asks for time. Then the growth that we all need to see takes my time and now as I write there's a speed in the rhyme and my heart double beats because although it's mine I only snatch parts and even that time. I know I don't have the first clue how to make all of this successful in the long term. Right at the start of Genesis 1, God kicks off the process of creation that sets this amazing order to things. He goes purpose, activity, reflection, delight. I'm sure this is totally familiar to you, but stick with me. When God created, he had a solid purpose for what he was doing. 
he created to be in perfect relationship with that very same perfect creation. Put simply, his activity and physical act of creation was born out of that purpose. Then, as things went on, he reflected on the progress and took the time he needed to delight in it. It's brilliant. You've probably picked up by now that the purpose of this book isn't to neatly pin down every theological point. It's more about inspiration. Having that as part of the purpose, it feels completely fine to write about the act of creation in one small paragraph, breezing past massive theology with a tip of a cap. However, if my purpose here were bigger, I'd probably reflect that this current section and most of the book isn't actually good enough. To be honest, I'm such an inexperienced writer, I'd almost certainly get disheartened and give up. I might still. In some ways though, successful or not, writing this book is as good a metaphor for the process of creation as I can find. Without all four elements in consideration, I simply wouldn't have the chance of succeeded in what I'm trying to do. First and fundamentally, I'm trying to inspire you with truth. That's my purpose. And in each of the first six studies or stories, I tried um, at l to at least touch on some of the most fundamental truths about God and our relationship with him. Chapter 1, we're God's treasure. Chapter, ch chapter 2, we come alive when we express love. Chapter 3, our legacy should be love. Chapter 4, our, our love ignites God's heart for us. Chapter 5, we need to be defined by Jesus' presence. And chapter 6, Jesus joins us when we grieve. Second, I'm planning on getting on with it. The practical activity of writing, all the time crafting and forming ideas. The, the activity is chosen, and in that way, it's taken uh, focus from my usual ministry and family time. And that's completely okay. Third, I'm constantly reflecting on the progress. I've got to make sure I'm going in the right direction, changing things to be more effective. In particular, making sure that I'm not being too precious about things and getting input where I can. Finally, I'm rereading my own work, not for the sake of checking it, but because I'm enjoying myself a great deal. I'm also beginning to talk about it with other people, figuring out what to do next. You see, God's creation process is so ingrained in the fabric of reality that you could confidently use it to inform everything. And would you expect anything else from a process endorsed by the Almighty? It's unsurprising then that it's even relevant to my family mealtimes. If the purpose of our mealtimes is to gel as a family together by building good relationships and learning from each other, then a few spills and even some tears are not only okay, but also expected. And this is the truth. If I choose something out of a sense of purpose, then a bit of chaos in the activity has to be fine. The problem is that so many things in life are expected of us and things take our time and make us feel overdone with busyness. 
Sometimes that makes even a little bit of chaos feel absolutely crippling. Being busy in some areas is often unavoidable. However, for what we can choose, we should make sure that it all breathes life. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak. Night after night they make him known. They speak without the sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. It bursts forth like a radiant bridegroom after his wedding. It rejoices like a great athlete eager to run the race. The sun rises at one end of the heavens and follows its course to the other end. Nothing can hide from its heat. Psalm 19, 1-6 There are a lot of people who wrongly assume that because of the nature of my work, I must always be busy. The truth is, I'm often not. Not that I don't work extremely hard, I do. But I know a lot of people who are far busier than me. I know a lot of people who don't handle their time well at all. I admire some of these people a great deal. I wouldn't want to single out a specific person, mostly because we can all be guilty of that sort of stuff. However, we've all been on the receiving end of the kind of behavior that shows that someone has either been hurt by other people's busyness or that they themselves are completely overstretched. You know the kind of thing. It even comes across in simple conversations. I know you're really busy, but could I just have a moment? Um, I don't have long, so please could you be quick? I can't stay long, I just... Um, have this other thing I need to do. In all honesty, I feel the same about being busy as I do about wasps. I get that it's an inevitability at times, but I just hate it and I want to hit it with a shoe. <laughs> busy is a fake kind of importance. It's a full is good, peaceful can't be assertive sort of lie. But I don't want to be too melodramatic. Being full in activity can be purposeful and incredibly fruitful. It's just that it's often not very good for us. Often we buy into being busy easily because we love the feeling of achieving things. The difficulty is that busy for the sake of activity is nothing short of crazy. Busyness completely blocks our ability to reflect and subsequently our capacity to simply delight in things. However, activity for the fulfillment of purpose is completely and perfectly excellent. It's like the slingshot effect. You pull back the elastic to create some tension and then you release it. Oh, what it must feel like to be the projectile soaring through the air. The part of this I think is most difficult to balance is that the same God who delights in us also deeply inspires us to do a million things to serve him. <laughs> but he doesn't want, want worn out humans. That was just never the plan. Remember, 
He's aiming for perfection, which is why, in our chaos, he never stops drawing us to quiet. He delights over me with singing. He carries me out of the wilderness. He beckons me to the mouth of the cave to whisper to me. He lays me down to rest by still waters. He offers peace that passes all understanding. And God does all of that, not because he hates activity, but because, like any parent, he knows what's good for his children. He knows to ask about our day and how to hear our hearts. He designed it this way, and it's glorious. I know this couple living near me who wake up each day and ask the Holy Spirit what the plan is. Whenever I drop in, they have food ready for me like they're expecting me. I also know someone who will work in a very highly strategic long-term way with plans upon plans ready to meet every conceivable need of the people around him. Both that couple and my friend have the very same power to choose what will fill their time with. Both of them have very different passions, so their decisions will be completely different. But both have the very same God. Both live full lives because of a sense of purpose, and both have the same invitation to experience him in the quiet. What a wonderful God we have. He drives everything forward with a clear purpose, and he promises fulfillment will be there when I choose the right things and let go of everything else. Now as we finish, why don't you take a moment to open up your heart in honesty before God. Ask God to reveal which things you need to stop doing today. If you could stop one thing, what would take its place? <laughs>